Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Human Nutrition and Lifestyle Podcast. Today on the podcast, we've got biochemist Nikki with us today, and she's going to tell us all about nutrition and perhaps a little bit about biochemistry and how the body works as well. So I'd like to introduce you, Nikki. And Nikki, if you just want to introduce yourself a little bit, tell everybody who you are, where you're from, and what sort of things you do. Hi, everybody. Excuse the background. I'm trying to hide from my kitties at the moment. Uh, but um, yeah, so I'm Nikki and um, I live in Australia and uh, Newcastle. And I'm currently studying um, a double degree. I'm a bit of a sucker for punishment, but I'm doing um, dietetics and, um, and biomed. So absolutely loving it. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been absolutely fascinating. Uh, I studied nutrition um, quite a few years ago and uh, unfortunately left it too long. And then here I am again trying to, um, <laughs> trying to understand everything to do with how the body works. It's my passion. So. And you enjoy exercise as well? I do. I've always been very much into exercise. Um, mainly, I think what really got me into it originally was uh, I had a lot of issues with my weight, um, you know, as a, as a child and as a teenager. And, um, and so it was really, it started off me being trying to find ways to control that a little bit. Um, and then I developed a real passion for it, especially now that my health has sort of, uh, resolved completely uh, I can now use exercise as just a form of um, fun really it's it's not something that I feel like I I have to do in order to get a certain result it's something that I genuinely love doing and um, and I love seeing my body adapting and changing to to different stimuli so um, yeah I also love exercise. So have you used uh, nutrition in a way then to help you with your exercise or have you just done sort of exercise in the background and then thought, well, I really want to study nutrition to maybe iron out some things within your exercise or even your own life and just your healthy lifestyle in general? A bit of both. Um, I used to, when I first got into training, um, as I said, it was really just about um, trying to, you know, burn off the calories that I was eating. That was the intention. And then, um, and then once I started finding that I was um, struggling a lot more with my health, I, I decided that the best way I could see exercise was to, because I wasn't finding success in the way that I wanted my body to look. So if I, I thought if I just zone it into uh, how else can I look at exercise maybe more as a performance thing. So then I started getting quite into powerlifting and found that really enjoyable. Um, and as, a, as I said, it, it really allowed me to, zoom my focus in on 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 the performance and um yeah I, I managed to um get a lot of weight um onto onto my lifts um and i think it it was handy for me because i'm very short so I'm, i don't have far that i have to pull things uh and my levers are very small so so that was fun um and then of course i i really tried to adapt my diet um around that sort of training and and when i was doing that of course i was still following uh, what uh, all my coaches were recommending, which of course was very, very high carbohydrate via grains, you know, healthy whole grains. Um, and in interestingly, that was, I guess, uh, working with a trainer um, several years ago was, was really what pushed me to the, to the limit with my, my health conditions because I was following this program and I was eating so many carbohydrates and it sort of pushed everything over the, over the threshold, I guess. And then I started really feeling quite ill. Um, and so it was then that I started doing some blood tests and figuring out what was wrong. And that's what led me into changing my diet. But, um, but yeah, up until then it was really about how can I 
eat as many carbohydrates as possible so that I can feel my lips. And we all know that if you have high glycogen stores, then you're going to be able to perform better. So I obviously worked my nutrition around my training. Um, and um, yeah, so it's been very interesting over the last few years following a zero carb uh, lifestyle and seeing how it's affected my training. So, yeah. Great. Let's dive straight into that then, because that's <laughs> where quite a lot of people now, um, I know I work with a lot of people who are still on that high carb. Everything's got to be carbohydrate. Everything's got to be backed by carbohydrate, especially exercise. Like you say, even, you know, still in people's daily lives, they think they need carbohydrates. So you say you switched to a zero carbohydrate. Was that just kind of a keto style or did you go paleo carnivore? What, what happened there? Yeah, I did the usual transition. So uh, I've, I discovered paleo and, and found some good success with that. In fact, that really, I, I saw a lot of success at the start because, of course, with paleo, you know, you're still eating a lot of um, vegetables, but, of course, you're cutting out all the grains. And I, I believe um, the idea is to cut out dairy as well, and I certainly did. Um, and so it was almost overnight I felt a huge amount better. Um, so paleo was definitely my transition. I followed that for about three months. And then, of course, I found keto very quickly and I thought, okay, well, I'm already cutting out a lot of my vegetables anyway. Let's just try and cut back a little bit. Ended up in a keto zone and then started to see my weight change. So I started to see myself um, losing a little bit of body fat and my muscle was starting to pop out a little bit more. And then, of course, I started reading into insulin and um, and so that all made a lot of sense. But um, I was only really following keto for... I. I think it was only about a, a week or two before I heard about this carnivore diet. And, and I thought, honestly, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Why would people do that? I could never cut out vegetables. I enjoy meat. But at that point I, I was thinking, Oh my God, the idea of just eating meat forever sounds awful. And the biggest thing for me really at the time was how would I train without no carbohydrates at all? And so that was a big concern, but, um, Again, I, I still could see that there were a few things I wanted to heal um, and, and I was seeing my weight change as well and finding that exciting. So I thought, all right, I'll throw myself in and see what happens. And um, yeah, it, it, by that point, because I had transitioned through paleo and keto, um, I guess it wasn't a, 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 an awful transition. I sort of was a little bit you know, fat adapted anyway. Um, but yeah, straight away, my, my energy in the gym went up. Um, I obviously then my autoimmune conditions disappeared. And so of course that helped with my training as well. I felt fantastic every time I went into the gym and, um, yeah, so I, I transitioned through all of the usual things. Yeah, that's great. And I'd recommend that to anybody, you know, for anybody just to say I'm going low carb and then change overnight. It's going to be a very, very hard transition. So lots of people I've spoken to, and you can go back and listen to many of the podcasts, people transition very, very slowly. And that tends to be um, a theme of how it's best to be done. Yes, there is them people out there. Don't, don't get me wrong. There is the ones out there who can do it cold turkey straight overnight and go for it. But they're very, very rare. And, and it tends to give your body more problems um, than you realize at the time. So if anybody's listening and wanting to try this, then that's that's potentially the best way for you to do that so you said that you you started to feel better you started to do better with your exercises in the gym and it controlled a lot of your autoimmune disease and it, it made just made you feel better in general so then obviously you started to dive a little bit more into it and, and starting to wonder well why is this why is this happening because i'm sure 
there's people out there just clinging on to that word there where you say where you say how do i exercise without carbohydrates i mean yeah. nowadays i think there's quite a lot of people out there who can come to terms with they don't need carbohydrates on a daily basis still not a few but still quite a lot will say yeah all right i, I know i can go through the day without any carbohydrates that's fine but then as soon as you put the word exercise in there people go oh, no i need carbohydrates so maybe you can tell us a bit about why you don't perhaps need carbohydrates to exercise Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, uh, I was lucky because by the time I um, was starting to delve into really, you know, very low carb keto and carnivore, uh, I, I mean, I had already done my nutrition course many years prior. So I, I already had a little bit of an idea about how the body worked. And once I started hearing about how insulin works and, um, and, and just getting my head around that as well, I, I kind of felt like it did makes sense. Um, and when I decide that I'm going to um, understand a topic, I can't leave it at, you know, <laughs> a, a little bit of knowledge. I have to know everything that happens about it. So every second that I got in my day, I was reading into it. And I mean, so basically, we can understand where the idea of having carbohydrates around training comes from. Really, there, there were some studies way back when, I believe it was around the 50s and 60s, that looked at what provides people the best exercise performance and when they look at uh, muscle glycogen levels and found that okay people that have the best exercise intensity and capacity tend to have high glycogen levels so that's it so we'll <laughs> just buddy from now on that we need to just eat a lot of carbohydrates because we all know that when you consume carbohydrates we will then store some as glycogen and so that that really does make sense but what people don't understand is that the problem with that is if you break through all your glycogen, yes, of course, you can keep stocking it up throughout your workout and you can have your gels and things like that. But really, you are going to hit a wall very quickly, especially if you're exercising very intensely and you're exercising in the glucose breakdown zone mainly you're going to break through that very quickly and then as i said of course you can refuel yourself with carbohydrates but in a lot of people and myself included that would always give me a lot of gut distress and and the idea of you know doing sprints and then having carbohydrates in between doesn't really go down that well the difference though is that if you can lower your insulin levels enough then you can have the capacity to tap into i mean i i was just I just put up a um, a video about a study uh, with um, Jeff Follick that they did that they looked at athletes and their capacity of fuel sources if they were to rely on glucose and glycogen or if they were to rely on their body fat stores and again we can store around 500 600 grams of um, glucose as glycogen in the average person but that's about it so once you've break broken through all that you're going to hit your wall Whereas if you are relying on body fat that you have stored on you, provided that you have low enough insulin levels, you can tap into that. And the study that I'm quoting, they looked at a 3% body fat athlete and they found that they would have somewhere around 20,000 kilocalories worth of fat that they can tap into. And of course, that is, you know, there are nuances there. It depends on how much body fat you have. And But when you're looking at exercise, I think it's important to understand that because it shows that Either you could tap into 2,000 kilocalories of glucose or 20,000 kilocalories worth of, you know, fat. So um, provided that you can get yourself fat adapted, and, and that's the catch for a lot of athletes, I think, is that period of fat adaption. And, but once you get past that, it, really your exercise capacity 
increases, has the capacity to increase. Yeah, uh, like, like we said earlier, you know, you need that period, you need that long time of gradual change from a high carb diet to a low carb diet, which helps you become fat adapted in general. And then also uh, if you want to be an athlete or you want to do exercise. But I also think it's important to say that you can top up your glycogen stores without carbohydrates. Oh, yes. Lots of people will think that glycogen stores, to top them up, you have to carb load the night before, you have to constantly eat carbohydrates to make sure that your glycogen stores are full. But no, you can top them up another way, can't you? Exactly, exactly. There was another study that I'm going to quote, and sorry, I'm going to keep quoting Jeff Volek and Stephen Finney, but they're amazing and they've done some amazing work in low-carb athletes, um, comparing them to high-carb athletes. And there was this amazing study that they did where they looked at um, athletes who were doing uh, work within the, I think it was 65% VO2 max. So they're working at the top of their um, fat-burning zone And they worked them for three hours and what they checked was their muscle glycogen stores pre, I believe, intra. You might be able to, um, yeah, I I think it was pre, intra and post, along with giving them uh, the high carbohydrate um, people were given some carbohydrates after their training and then the high fat people, low carb, were just given like a, a fat shake, I believe. And then they tested their uh, level of muscle glycogen after that as well. And they found no difference in these people's glycogen levels. And this is by doing muscle, like checking the actual glycogen in their muscles, which would have been horrendously uncomfortable doing that and then training for three hours. Um, But they did it. And, um, and I just think that's fascinating to know because the body is able to create its own glucose and glycogen without you consuming. And I think that's where the, the the medical field maybe mistakes a little bit because we're all told that in order to get any glucose in your body and therefore glycogen, you need to be consuming carbohydrates. And that's just not true. You can make it very easily and safely and effectively yourself. So yeah, yeah. let's let's dig into some weeds here because I'm, I'm I'm burning to dig into the weeds here because I love this stuff. And Lots of people might be on our wavelength here and want to really know how you get glucose then. If you're not consuming it, how do you get it? Where does it come from? And how does it then go to be stored as glycogen? So help us out there. Okay, so we have three different macronutrients, as we know. We have um, protein, carbohydrates, and fat. And fat, excuse me. Protein, I want to say, is very different because we have so many different needs for protein in the body. And, I mean, I'm talking enzymes, I'm talking, you know, uh, hormones. Protein is not only just what we help to build muscle. Protein is kind of everything else, really. Basically, when we take in carbohydrates, we'll break it down and then we will partition what we have just eaten into either having some in the blood putting some into our muscle and our stores of glucose, which is our glycogen stores. And as I said, that's going to be around 2,000 calories worth, which is about 500, 600 grams in total. Anything over what you've consumed that you can't put away, you then store it as fat. So you would turn it into fat and then you'll store it for a rainy day for energy. Protein then we'll obviously consume as well. 
but then we can use that protein if we are not eating carbohydrates we can then take in the protein and break them down to amino acids and in fact majority of the 20 amino acids that we can get and can create actually get funneled straight into making glucose if we need to um, as i said they can then be used for other things as well fat as well can be broken down so when we store fat in our body we store it as a triglyceride and so that will have three fatty acids and this thing called glycerol that kind of holds onto the three of the, tri the triglyceride the fatty acids so that glycerol can be taken from that fatty acid from that triglyceride excuse me and can be sent back into making glucose as well so all three of those macronutrients can be used to make glucose if we need it what is very interesting is that the longer you go with um fat adapting so if you've taken out all your carbohydrates and you are just you know using uh fat as your energy source the longer you go with that the more your body uses parts of the body that like the muscle that are hybrid and can use uh, fat and glucose as energy the more it will partition the glucose that you are making to just the parts of the body that can only use glucose. So what I'm saying is that parts of the body like the muscle becomes so fat adapted that it almost shunts the glucose and says, it's okay, I've got another fuel source, I don't need it anymore, so I'm just gonna use fat. And so therefore over time, you end up actually sort of really making less glucose and just breaking down fat. So just to reiterate, you can use all three macronutrients to make glucose. You can break them down in different ways and the ones that you're going to prioritize breaking down will change depending on how fat adapted you become. So that's very exciting too. Yeah, that's great. I, I like the way you say that. I, I think um, the majority of people who go to a higher fat diet, because usually when you're on a lower carbohydrate diet, it has to be, or it tends to be more higher in fat as well. So then you're going through the process of gluconeogenesis, which is making the glucose. But the things that fuel your muscles and your movement are the mitochondria in the cells. You can't, you, the glucose is not in the mitochondria in the cells. The glucose, the glycolysis, actually takes place outside of the mitochondria. So the thing that actually powers the mitochondria is the acetyl-CoA. And that comes, again, from your fat. So like you say, it keeps it there in the, near the mitochondria so that it can power the muscles so that the glucose can be used um, sparingly for your organs and, and, and other things as well. So I think it's, it's important, you know, if you, if you break it right down, take it right down to a cellular level, then glucose really, all of the body cells want to get rid of glucose. They straight away change it into a thing called pyruvate and then pyruvate's pushed into the mitochondria to make acetyl-CoA. And acetyl-CoA is really the thing that powers your mitochondria to make all of the different interactions, the NADH and, and, and everything sends it down to oxidative phosphorylation to make the ATP to then get you moved. So it's all about that, getting that acetyl-CoA. It's not about getting the glucose and you can get that from triglycerides, which is why a low carb diet works. I hope I'm correct with that. Maybe you can agree. <laughs> absolutely. I absolutely agree. I mean, what's interesting is, as, as I said, there are parts of the body that are always going to need glucose and that's just a fact. And the reason that they will always need it is because they don't actually contain mitochondria so they as you said i mean they have to do it in their cytosol and they will break down glucose and that's the energy that they use so we'll always be creating a little bit of glucose and that is why ketosis can work because we can make our own glucose 
the reason that it can take so long for transitioning when and becoming fat adapted is exactly what you said. We are literally making organelles, mitochondria, so that we can burn more fat because, in fact, we mitochondria are the things that we require in order to burn fat. And so, as you said, I mean, if, if we do that in the mitochondria, then it will take time to upregulate and create more mitochondria so that we can burn more fat. And interestingly as well, it, in order to uh, break down fat, we require oxygen too. And that's why people will often say, you've got to work in the fat burning zone, which is the, the zone where you are still able to bring in enough oxygen to be able to use it. Um, and therefore, it will be able to be sent through the Krebs cycle in the mitochondria and we can break down fat. So that's just a little added note. But yeah, absolutely correct. And, um, and this is the reason that we can be in ketosis and it's completely fine because we can easily make our own glucose. <laughs> I think the grey area for, for me anyway comes when you're talking about sustained high intensity exercise, because we know that you need glycogenolysis or it happens all the time you know you're always using your glycogen but people will say well if you then introduce carbohydrates you've then got glycolysis as well giving you energy so you get an extra energy um, to fuel your high intense exercise um, is that true if you are more fat adapted can you still perform at a super high level just on your triglycerides I believe so. Um, I'll be honest, I'm really trying to get my head around that. I'm trying to find the answers. Um, I know for myself, personally, yes, I, I can train at very high intensities. Um, and and I really am only, I'm not eating any carbohydrates. I'm only eating meat at the moment. And I actually feel like that's when I perform at my best um, in all zones. So yes, I think so. Um, what a lot of people seem to be saying that they like to do if they are more in an elite kind of realm of, of training, they like to um, train low and compete high. So this is, this is where basically guys, they'll do several months, for example, where they are training in their low carbohydrate state. And of course, in that case, they are fat adapting themselves. But then when they have their competition on that day, they will deliberately, uh, you know, have some carbohydrates. And the idea behind that is that you have become so fat adapted by that point that again, as I mentioned, your hybrid organs like your muscles will then almost shun the glucose a little bit because it's almost become a little bit, I don't want to use this word, but it, it's true. They become a little bit insulin resistant. So they're sort of a bit resistant to taking in the glucose. So they'll be like, no, 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 you guys keep that. So it sort of keeps it a little bit more in the bloodstream, more available to the other cells of the body. And it just continuously keeps using the fat. I think this is very interesting. And I have heard anecdotes of people saying that that is very useful when they are doing competitions. Do I do it? No. Um, I personally wonder if in the average person that's ideal because I kind of think, does it put you in this kind of funny uh, limbo? I'm not sure. I think it, it would come down to how often are you carb loading? Um, for the training, are you doing it weekly? Are you doing it every few weeks? Are you doing it every six months? The longer you go, I believe probably the better. If you're doing it more frequently, like once a week, my only thing would be, aside from are you increasing, because let's face it, when you're eating carbohydrates, it's usually coming from plants. And my opinion on that is that a lot of plants do have these 
plant toxins like lectins and things like that that can set people off. So if you're doing it weekly, possibly you could be aggravating autoimmune things. But also I just wonder if it's putting people into a bit of a limbo zone where you're sort of becoming fat adapted and then going back to using carbohydrates. The other thing I would say as well that's worthwhile pointing out is that when you consume things like carbohydrates often, I have heard a lot of people say as well that it brings back their cravings and then it's harder to control that. Personally, that's how I feel also. So I'm, I prefer to just not, but, um, but I've certainly heard people say that they find success with it. So I can understand the mechanism behind it. Yeah. Yeah, great. It's, it's kind of on the same thought lines as me. I've got two thoughts of it because I am an endurance athlete. So mm. when you say that lots of people train low, you know, to a, to a low intensity, and then when they potentially race or turn up the high intensity, they'll find it easier or better for their performance to have carbohydrates. And I think it's like what you say, the carbohydrates they're having is then shuttling around the body, going to keep everything else happy, like the brain happy, the heart happy, everything else happy, whilst your muscles get on with burning the fat. So, so there is that. But also I think that as well as fat adapting, you can train and adapt. So, you know, you can actually specifically train yourself. Everything is training specific. So fat adaption as well is training specific. So if you're doing low intensity all the time, then yes, perhaps you are going to need those carbohydrates for your high intensity because you're not used to it. But if you can put in those high intensity workouts like we said at the beginning, gradually fat adapt yourself. And it's the same with training, in my opinion, is that you need to gradually higher your intensity whilst you are burning, burning, in, you know, air quotes, uh, your fat as well. So then you are adapted to training high, with high intensity and on fat, you know, and then, you, you, then your body can cope perfectly well. Um, I am starting to get towards the opinion of we don't need carbohydrates for anything ever <laughs> yeah <laughs> absolutely I, I think that's a very very good point your body is incredibly good at adapting whether it is adapting to being able to use certain fuels or adapting to the exercise that you are doing um yeah you, it, it's a very very good point i agree completely yeah well, let's touch on the plants. You said, you said about plants and uh, my nutrition is probably around about 98% carnivore now. I still like a coffee every now and again, a little bit of dark chocolate sneaks in sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but let's talk about plants because a lot of people don't actually realize you've still got the guidelines out there telling you to have your five portions of fruit and veg a day. A lot of people don't realize that plants, you can't actually break them down and your body can't actually take much nutrition from them. So, so why, why is this? Some of them are actually impossible for our body to actually break down. We don't contain the enzymes to be able to break them down and hence why we have fiber. It just goes straight through us. There are, there are a lot of things with plants, not only that. So when we're talking about what we are actually not able to digest, what I mean is that, of course, when we're digesting food, the idea of, of eating is so that we can then absorb what we are eating into our gut, into our gut cells, and then that will be used throughout the body for whatever we need it for. If we are not able to actually bring it into our cells, of course, it's going to go straight through us. But unfortunately, with that also comes a lot of the nutrients that come with that food. And so because they are binded within that, you know, a lot of the proteins, a lot of the vitamins and minerals, of course, then get taken out as well. And I've seen some amazing studies that have looked at even if you pair 
foods that you're eating that are, for example, very, very um, uh, bioavailable, which just means that you can use a lot of it in order to actually be absorbed you know, absorb it and use it in your body. If you consume foods like, for example, a very bioavailable bio oyster with plant foods, it actually drops the ability for you to even absorb what you're getting in that oyster. So even if that food itself doesn't have anti-nutrients, it can still be affected by the foods that you consume it with. And so that's something to be aware of. So not only are you um, not getting some of the nutrients that you would hopefully be getting in that food you're also bringing out nutrients that you're getting with other things that you're eating with it you can also have these things called um you know plant toxins which are essentially just the plant will contain a certain amount of toxins kind of like um pesticides that it has so that it can protect itself really from being eaten too much and it, it does this for animals and so that it doesn't continuously just get eaten all day long and so basically when we break down plants they do release these toxins it's a fact i mean that's just known um and so these things do can have effects on our body one in particular that i've done a lot of reading into which is quite frightening is this thing called a lectin which we find in almost every plant food that there is including coffee unfortunately but you know it's it's kind of found in different amounts and in different forms throughout all most different most plants and lectins kind of can do a lot of nasty things in the body they they're essentially they're carbohydrate binding molecules so we have these little carbohydrate things that stick off all of our cells and so this means they have the capacity to bind onto every one of our cells and i've seen studies that have shown lectins binded to all different organs of the body. I've seen some on cells of their endometrium, you know, cells of the liver. It, it's quite frightening. And what's interesting is that if they're getting to those parts of the body, they're obviously getting into our bloodstream. How do they get there? Well, I've also seen studies where that have shown that they can, if they can bind onto an intestinal cell, they can switch on certain cascades within that cell that essentially break down the little gap junctions that hold cells together. And so if they break those down, the cells pull apart and then things that are going through the gastrointestinal system can then get between the cells and they're exposed to our immune system. And I believe from, from how much I've researched it, I believe that is at the base of autoimmunity. Yeah, it's, very it's, it's basically, uh, to put it in its simplest form, it's a chemical that your body cannot digest. It's trying to attack you because at the end of the day, the plant wants to survive. It's, it's only defense. It's got our chemicals to try and survive and they react inside of our bodies, um, causing problems like digestive issues and, and, and all sorts of things. So when people get IBS or any related condition to, to digestion, it's usually down to the fact of all these chemicals from plants and lots of these chemicals from plants don't actually have to be straight from the whole food plant that you're having. Nowadays, lots of it's from all the processed food and especially the seed oils, uh, vegetable oils and things that, that are found everywhere now in the processed food market. I, I, I just used to say to people, and I still say to people now, if there's one big change that you can make in your nutrition, it's go to real food because the market of processed foods now infiltrated so much with chemicals like you're saying with lectins and oxalates and all sorts of kind of things once you're on a processed food diet 
you're just being bombarded with chemicals the whole time. So if you can then take one step and go to real food, even if it is, um, you know, a selection of plant foods among that, then it's one step away from that processed food. And then you can make the jump, hopefully, off those plants eventually as well, like us. Um, but one, yeah. thing, uh, one thing I wanted to say is that, although I've talked to a lot of people on carnivore and we kind of work out that carnivore is sort of an optimal nutrition when you speak to people about it like ourselves you often find that they'll say well i'm not 100 strict i'm either 95 percent or 98 percent, and i do have spells of maybe even coming off a little bit like a little bit more down to 90 percent, or, or i do have spells of going 100 percent um do because of that the i think the questions out there that people say well it's not sustainable then um what would you come back be to that I would say it depends on what you mean by sustainable. So if it's sustainable, if you're talking about sustainability as in, is it sustainable for our body to function and be functioning optimally on a carnivore diet? I absolutely think it is. I know it is. <laughs> um, I mean, even if we just look at the comparison of nutrients that you get from plant foods as opposed to animal foods, it's, it's vastly different. I mean, really, it, not only are we getting more of an abundance of, of nutrients with animal foods, we, these, these nutrients are more bioavailable. And as I said before, the capacity for them to not only be absorbed, but then also utilized within the body is a lot better. Um, I mean, we, we can't forget as well that when we are looking at, if you think about molecules of whatever, say it's a, the three macronutrients, when you look at them as a molecule, our body will break them up and then send them out to different parts of the body that it needs to use. And those things look like other molecules in our body. Our body knows what to do with them. It will take one thing off one thing and put it somewhere else. Whereas with a lot of um, plant foods, it, they look a little bit different. The body doesn't quite know what to do with them. And this is what makes them a little bit not as bioavailable, essentially. Um, so if you're talking from a nutrient availability standpoint and can the body survive and thrive on just eating meat and, and hopefully some, you know, uh, offal and things like that as well. Absolutely. Yes. If you're talking it from a, we live in a, in 2022 and we are surrounded by family and friends and we are surrounded by beautiful tasting, you know, artificial food. Well then, yeah, I would say it's not hugely sustainable because I mean, I have two children they, you know, bring things into the house and I'll admit these foods taste really good. Um, I, there are certain foods that I will never touch no matter what. And that, it, that are seed, any oil that is liquid at room temperature, I won't go near. Um, I personally have a problem with regular dairy, so I don't do that either. Um, and again, wheat products, I never touch. But, you know, fruit and things like that, I, I don't see any harm in including that stuff because we live in this environment that we do today. I also want to mention as well that, um, you know, people that include more variety in their diet, of course, it just gives them some texture variety, taste variety, completely get it. If we, there's no harm in doing that, I think as well, provided that, of course, you have figured out whether or not those foods are triggering you. Of course, if they're triggering you, your autoimmunity, then please don't eat them. Um, but if they're, if they're not affecting you, that I don't see any reason why you should avoid them. I also want to mention as well, when I'm talking about the, some of these um, plant toxins that we were discussing, you know, these days we have become very, very good at trying to, when we are, uh, when we're harvesting these plants and, you know, um, 
the agricultural side of it, we are trying to use more of the plants that have more of their natural plant toxins because then it allows them to survive longer and provide us with more essentially. So if we compare the foods that we are eating now, if we're talking about plant foods, for example, they are very, very different to what we would have had many centuries ago because they are manipulated, you know, they're, they're changed and they are, they, when you eat one thing, it's giving you so many more plant toxins that it would have two, 300 years ago. So I think it's important to mention that if you are going to include those plant foods, by all means, and, and if it gives you a bit of variety and fun, great. And it helps you fit in with your family a bit more, fine. But try to pick things that are seasonal because this will obviously, you know, decrease the, uh, the capacity of them being GMO and all this. Um, and, of course, as you said, try to pick things that are just not manipulated at all. So not packaged if possible <laughs> that would be great <laughs> yeah I'd like to say that things are just hybridized so much nowadays even fruit you know if you go back 100 years fruit would just not be as sweet at all as it is nowadays it's just been you know bread and bread and bread uh, into something that's unrecognizable to our ancestors um, same across the whole plant kingdom so again lots of different things there but just to go back to the sustainability point what you was making there is Biologically, yes, it is sustainable. 100% carnivore is sustainable biologically. But like you say, society nowadays, socially, perhaps it isn't. So that's, I think that's why you'll, you'll always find out that when you speak to a, a carnivore, even the strictest one now and again, they'll say, yes, I introduce plants, so I introduce coffee, dark chocolate, you know, whatever, because of the society they're in because they want to go out for a meal with their family and uh, things like that. So, but biologically, yes, I think it's, it's totally sustainable. And I'll stand by that the whole time. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's, you've got to live. And I think it's fun. I mean, somebody was having a go at me recently because I was talking about lectins on one of my videos and they're like, but you drink coffee and coffee. Didn't you know coffee is a plant food? And it's like, of course I know that. And of course they have like coffee has lectins in it. I just try to make it as least toxic as I can. You know, there's certain things you can do using certain types of coffee, blah, 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 blah. But in the end, I want to live, you know, I love the idea of having my coffee in the morning. And if that's the one plant food that I include that doesn't affect me, then why not? You know? So, so is, is there other things then that you can incorporate alongside your nutrition to have a healthier life and potentially it can also help you have more optimal performance when it comes to exercise, things like acute stress, things like fasting or um, cold water therapy. Have you looked into anything like that? Absolutely. Um, there are certain things like tools that I, I would put in my arsenal that I use weekly, daily, um, that I think keep me in optimal health. Um, so the main ones for me daily are I, um, I don't want to call it intermittent fasting. I, I like to call it time-restricted eating. I'm not a huge fan of long fasts because I come from a – I love muscle. I love all the things that muscle can provide you with, um, including you keeping your metabolism high and all this. So I don't like extended fasts because I think it's a bit too catabolic. I also have read many studies that show that once you get to sort of day two, day three – of an extended fast, your metabolism starts to slow down. I don't want that. I want optimal exercise performance and I want 
as much muscle mass as I can. But I do time restrict my eating. Um, I like to aim for sort of two meals a day usually. Um, and I, I think that works really well for me. Um, if you've if you've watched any of my videos on um, optimal timing with meals and things, if you are looking to um, you know build muscle mass, I've got a lot of videos on this. I, I'm, I'm very passionate about um, muscle, as I said. Um, but yeah, I like to have two meals a day, and I like to try to keep them relatively close together, leaving enough of a gap that I'm still building muscle. Um, and then the rest of the time, I'm fasting. And and of course, I'm I'm drinking black coffee, but the rest of the time, I am completely fasting, and that works very well for my body. Um, I feel like mentally, I work really well with that as well, and it's very convenient too, because of course, I'm working very hard with uni and to not have to keep stopping all day long and, and make meals. Um, other things that I like to do, are um, I like to expose myself to cold when I can. I was doing actual ice um, baths for a little while, but just I haven't had time. So I just try to stand under a cold shower for as long as I can every day. Um, of course, that's harder in wintertime, but, um, you know, that helps to stimulate brown fat, which is very, very, um, very healthy too, and also helps you with your metabolism and keep, keeping that high. Uh, what else do I do? To me, the, the main things come from diet. I, I always um, try to make sure that I'm optimizing my protein for sure. And of course I exercise. So I don't do a huge amount of um, cardio. I do some sprints if I'm going to do any cardio, but I just try to lift heavy things as much as I can um, when I have time. And um, what else? I think that's it. Yeah, I'll, I'll just jump in and say that exercise is an acute stress. People don't actually realize that and want to do it, you know, eight hours a day, every day. No, that's not the way to approach exercise. Even though I'm an endurance athlete, I will always say to people, you need to make sure you've got ample rest. You need to make sure that your body can recover. And we talked about the glycogen stores as well earlier on. You need to make sure that your glycogen stores are topped up before you do any activity, in my opinion. If you are trying to do activity on low glycogen stores, you're going to suffer for performance. So then you're not going to get the adaptions from the exercise that you want. So treat your exercise as an acute stress as well. Give yourself plenty of time to recover between, especially between high intense workouts. And the, the way you describe fasting, as, as we say, it's really not fasting. It's really just the way we should be. Um, I have referred to it before as intermittent eating because that's that's what we do. <laughs> but uh, yeah, in terms of that, I'll, I'll always reiterate the same to, to a lot of people and say, look, listen to your body and, and, and listen to whatever goals you set. Because if it is building muscle and fasting, a lot of fasting is probably going to harm that. I mean, it's not going to harm you now and again to throw in a longer one because um, there's something called autophagy, which maybe you might be able to tell us a little bit more about because it involves um, cell death and cell regeneration. So uh, what is autophagy? Yeah, ex that's exactly that. So the body does naturally, we are constantly breaking things down and building things up. And it's this, again, with the body, everything is, is trying to come back to homeostasis. So we're breaking things down, we're building things up. And that's why it's, it's good to have periods of not eating and periods of eating, because then you have periods of catabolism, breaking things down, and then periods where you're building them back up again. And that is extremely healthy for the body. I like to see it as it's kind of like taking out the, the garbage. You know, it's, it's, there, there are going to be cells constantly that are, you know, getting to the end of their life and they need to be 
gotten rid of, they're not working. We, I mean, even in a perfectly healthy, healthy body, we always are going to have some proteins that are misfolded and some cells that are just not functioning the, the way that they should. So the body has beautiful mechanisms to just get rid of those cells and remove them. Of course, we are also exposed to pathogens and things like that constantly you might not even know that you're dealing with things constantly in your body like uh like say you might have been exposed to something this is all just the body being able to get rid of things and so having periods in the day where you are not eating is is extremely healthful um and as you said i mean doing intermittent times where you might do a day or two of an of a, a proper fast every few months and and that actually is extremely healthful um removes all the waste helps with um you know giving your gut a break as well giving giving it time to sort of get rid of old cells that are in there too um it, it's shown to be very good for autoimmunity i know for myself when when i um it ugh, i haven't really had any flares I, I had one time where i i kind of brought back some dairy and it didn't really work very well so then i gave myself um you know a longer period uh for a few days where i was doing omad and it was just giving my my body a little bit more time in between meals to just you know get rid of things but on top of that as well it's it's allowing us to sensitize our hormones too like insulin if we constantly have insulin raised not only are we literally not able to burn any fat that we have on our body but the body is very very good at down regulating and up regulating as it needs so if you if you bring back a hormone like that it will become more sensitive to it so that when it does get released the receptors are ready to go so um, there are so many benefits of having times where you are not eating, I think. Yeah, definitely. I mean, a cell ad adaptation doesn't get enough credit. Uh, basically, our body can manage itself if we give it chance to do so. Um, everything we do in our body, all the stress that we give it, it's our cells trying to adapt to those things. And when it's overstressed, overstimulated, so we're eating all the time or we're constantly stressed, and that's when the cell adaptation becomes a cell injury and then it causes a problem um, in the body where we get uh, injuries and, and, and illnesses and things. So we just need to let that cell adaptation work, let it happen. And by, by being able to do that is taking time off whatever it is you're doing. So usually it's eating for a lot of people or, or like you say, you can exercise too much and that causes too much stress and that can also not let the cell adapt to what you're doing. So, I mean, it's been a great chat with you. I don't want to keep you uh, too long. I know you've got a, a big day ahead. So, um, but thank you for letting us dig into the weeds there a little bit into things. It's been great, a great chat with you. Where can people follow along with the things that you're doing and, and join in with all the things that you post to? Well, I'm really just on Instagram, guys. I'm not very um, tech savvy, so uh, I'm literally just on Instagram. I do, I've started putting up some videos where I just talk through random things that I'm learning and understanding. Um, I'm finding that to be uh, better for me because it just, as I'm thinking it, I can get it out and, um, and, I, and it helps me to learn what I'm doing as well. If I can explain it to somebody else, then I'm learning too so um yeah if you're interested in any of the any of these topics i'm putting videos yeah. i love it when people come and say to me oh what do you think about this or can you do something on this topic because then i'm like yes that means i can research it or that means i can explain it um i sometimes think to myself what can i talk about i don't know i don't know what to talk about so please if you have anything that you want me to talk about let me know but i am bio.chem.nikki and i'm on instagram that's brilliant. I'll pop that in the show notes anyway, so people can see it and click on it there and 
go straight to you and follow your stories and on all your reels and things there. So it's been great talking to somebody who's as like-minded as myself and uh, after everything they can find out. So thank you very much for today, Nikki. Thanks for having me. <laughs> See you.